Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor with a master's in child studies, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. On this podcast, I interview parents who are raising multilingual children, Montessori guides who have taught in bilingual classrooms or who are themselves multilingual, and adults who grew up speaking two or more languages. We discuss the intersection between language and identity, how to find balance when speaking two or more languages in a monolingual environment, and all the joys and challenges that we experience along the way. Today I'm speaking with Deandra Morse, a bilingual mom, licensed clinical social worker, and child advocate living in Syracuse, New York with her husband and two bilingual sons. Deandra is Dominican-American and was raised in both the Dominican Republic and New York City. You might know Deandra from Instagram as Bilingual Playdate, where she promotes positive language attitudes towards all languages, language variations, accents, and dialects, and reminds parents that they are at the heart of their child's bilingualism. In this conversation, Deandra shares her experiences raising two bilingual sons and what it has been like to watch her husband transition to speaking Spanish to their children as well. She talks about how she decided to use her Instagram platform to focus on advocating for bilingualism by dismantling myths about bilingual children, drawing attention to discriminatory and linguistically oppressive practices, connecting parents to bilingual parenting community supports, and providing parents with play-based Spanish learning ideas that they can incorporate into their home to preserve their Spanish heritage language. Deandra is so insightful and enthusiastic, and I definitely left this conversation feeling inspired. I think you will too. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Deandra. Hi, Deandra. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori podcast. Thank you so much for having me here, Gabrielle. I'm so excited to chat with you today. So to start, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you live, and about your family. Perfect. Um, My name is Deandra Morse. I live in upstate New York. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I am raising two bilingual sons. They are Dominican American and we speak Spanish predominantly at home with them. And they get all of their English from our community. Um, Syracuse, New York is very rich in English. Um, And there's not a lot of... um, Spanish um, input that they really receive from the community, but we are working on it and we're building um, slowly our community. And that's kind of where um, Bilingual Play Day came from. Um, raising bilingual children can be a very isolating experience sometimes when you don't have a community. My family actually lives in New York City, so I don't have um, access to them on a regular basis. So finding people who were raising bilingual children near me um, was definitely one of the reasons why I started my Instagram account. Awesome. I I can't wait to talk about all of that with you. And that's how I got introduced to you as well, of course. Uh, but first, I would love to go back in time and tell me about your experiences as a child growing up and what role languages played in your life as a child. 
Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Dominican Republic. Um, my parents are both Dominican, so we always lived in the Dominican Republic. But my grandma, my maternal grandma, lived in New York City. So my entire, I was born in New York City. So I, my entire life, I went back and forth between New York City and um, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. And um, so language is always present. I always knew that we spoke Spanish, but that when we traveled to the U.S., specifically New York City, that English was spoken. And my mom jokes all the time that um, once I started talking, I said to her, I'm going to learn English because I don't like it when I don't know what other people are saying. Um, so English was always something that I, as a child, wanted to learn. Um, and so I we moved um, for a very brief period of time um, for like two years to New York City. And I remember going into school and I only spoke Spanish. I was five. And um, in two years, I, I mean, in the first year, I became bilingual and I spoke English and Spanish. Um, it still was Spanish at home. My parents do not speak English and English at school. So it's very similar to kind of what we're doing with my kids now where they're speaking Spanish at home like I did growing up and then now they're my three and a half year old just started school this week so he's getting English um at his preschool oh nice and so as you got older did you still um did you still find ways to incorporate English in your life or was it still a presence as you got older yeah, so we um, stayed in New York City for like two years, and then we moved back. My dad is not a fan of the seasons or the cold. He is definitely an island guy, um, and he likes island living in general, just the sunshine and the beach and, you know, having all that. So we um, moved back to the Dominican Republic and we went to bilingual school there. So I um, had my my education in both languages. Um, and then actually French was my third language that was introduced later um, in middle school, high school. Um, and so I spoke French for a little while, but it's rough now. Um, so, so yeah, so language has always been something that I've been very interested in and really appreciate. Um, in the Dominican Republic, we always had a lot of tourism. So there were always people from other nationalities and other countries that I was encountering or seeing. And I really always enjoyed um, hearing them. But for myself, it was always Spanish and English that I really, really committed to. Mm. So yeah. in your group of friends that you went to school with, um, did you mostly speak Spanish socially or was it kind of a mix of Spanish and English? So it was definitely more like English was more our academic language or our language that we use for um, movies and music and like pop culture. But amongst us, it was definitely like um, like Dominican Spanish, but also like Dominican slang, because at the end of the day, we all were coming home to our parents who spoke predominantly in Spanish. So we were we we did both when it came to talking about pop culture, but it was definitely more. Spanish until I moved to the U.S. Um, at 16 to finish out my high school career. Okay, nice. So mm -hmm. what was that like when you when you moved to the U.S.? Was it um, kind of a culture shock or was it a pretty easy transition? It was an easy transition as in I had been to New York City my entire life. So nothing about it like shocked me. Um, it was weird like 
not having a uniform because in my school, I always wore a uniform. So now I have to like pick out outfits to go to school. Uh, that was weird. And then my dad drove us to school every day. There's not a school bus in the DR. So having to take the subway to school was different um, and a longer commute. So like having to get used to that and having to learn how to manage my time so early because I was 16 and before it was, you know, your parents are like, okay, you need to get on, you need to do this, yada, yada. But then at 16, I was needing to get on the train and the train, if you're not there, the train leaves. So getting myself to high school, it was like a really good, it was a really good experience of like becoming independent. Um, and then processing that like shift, um, that um, shift in cultures, because there's more independence when it comes to like schooling, I feel like in the US versus my experience in the Dominican Republic with my parents that did, they were more involved in the schooling things. And then obviously, because they didn't speak English, I was more independent in that I navigated the school logistical things like I was a senior so then I would had to you know figure out my paperwork for college and all that stuff and so I was doing that kind of more on my own versus if I was in the Dominican Republic they probably would have had more of a um say or an influence in it because it would have been a language that they spoke so it was an interesting dynamic like navigating that um yeah, but it, it wasn't it wasn't anything as shocking as I think some other people um, would experience when they come at, to a place that they haven't regularly been to. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, so then tell me about what led you to the decision to become a social worker. Um, OK, so this is a, like this is a funny story. So um, so I moved from the Dominican Republic. I went to um, a school on Wall Street. Um, and my guidance counselor, um, when she was interviewing me, she asked me like, what are the things that I wanted in a school? And I wanted it to be like a small school. And then she asked me like, what are the things that you're interested in? And I'm like, well, I really want to advocate for people. I really want to make sure that people feel like they have rights and, um, that their voice is heard. And, you know, I've always been interested in law and like criminal justice. Um, like that sounds like something that I might be willing to do or enjoy doing. And so she told me about a school in upstate New York that is known for that. Um, so the school's Hilbert College. And um, I ended up going there as a criminal justice, paralegal studies kind of major um, to see if I, I would like that. Um, and then quickly learned that I don't, um, I don't want to have a gun or um, shoot a gun. Like I didn't want to become a police officer, which a lot of the individuals that were going there were going there for. But they had a program um, for human services and that had a criminal justice component that was very much about advocating and rights uh, and people's rights. So I ended up um, switching my major to human um, services and then meeting my my wonderful professors that were social workers. And that's how I got introduced to social work. Oh, cool. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Do you do you use um, English and Spanish in your daily work? Yes, I use. Um, so yeah, so I use both. Um, and I have, um, I have even more so now than I did um, previously, I think. Um, yeah, well, one of the things that I the pandemic kind of did for social workers is that um, it expanded 
I guess, the way that we thought about therapy and that we can do things virtually. So now I do have more access versus like when I was restricted or thought that I was restricted, even though I'm licensed in New York State, um, thought I was restricted to my area for in-person therapy, then there wasn't as much access to Spanish-speaking individuals, but now I get to. Um, so yeah, I really, um, the journey to being a licensed clinical social worker um, has been very enriching. Actually, my first experiences were with immigrants, parents and immigrant students and just working with them and really reminded me of my own experiences when I did move from the Dominican Republic to the US and had to do a lot of that schooling by myself because my parents didn't couldn't help me, you know, and the schools don't always support parents and navigating that. And it is it is a pretty complicated process to figure out college and graduation and financial aid and loans and all that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Even for people who have lived in the U.S. their whole lives, it's like completely difficult <laughs> to understand. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really love being able to give back to my community in this way, um, especially using the language, um, because language creates connection. And a lot of times that's what people are looking for when they're looking for um, a therapist or they're looking for um, a service that's going to be more intimate in that way. Yeah, oh, that's so great that you get to to offer that to people, because um, I would imagine even people who are at a very comfortable level in English, if Spanish is their native language, there's really nothing like speaking your native language to somebody, especially when you're in a, in a context like therapy or social work. Yeah. And um, yeah. And there's just like some words that don't translate. Like even you can try to describe the word to the person, but sometimes just like the word has the meaning that you want the person to really capture from what you're trying to explain. So I love when um, my clients can Spanglish and they can just say things and they just know I know. Um, or even if it's a different word that they say in their Spanish and there's a different variation, they can still explain it to me in a way that we're going to get to the word easier than if they were explaining it to someone that doesn't have that language or cultural lens. So let's talk a little a bit about bilingualism and what it looks like in your family. So did you always know that you would raise your children bilingual? And what, I guess, did that look like in the beginning when you first became a parent? Yeah, so I always knew that I wanted to raise bilingual kids. I, like, because my parents don't speak English, like I knew it wasn't necessarily like an option for me, for them not to speak Spanish, but I didn't realize like the logistical things of it. Um, so when my my first son was born, he's three and a half now, three and a half now, but when he was born, I guess I didn't necessarily, I wasn't as intentional or as, um, mindful of my language use I wasn't I was like oh he's a baby he needs this and then and then I I wasn't like oh I'm only going to speak to him in Spanish because I I wasn't thinking about that I was just like oh I'm, I'm meeting his needs and then um after my maternity ended and I returned it back to work that's when it hit me when I no longer was like physically present with him that's when uh, at three he was yeah three months and I was at work and he was home and he was with my um, in-laws who were caring for him. Um, I was like, oh my God, he is all day. 
living life in English, just like I'm all day living life in English at work. But when I come home, he's still living life in English if I speak English. And so I need to do something different. And so I started having those conversations with my husband about my fears and my concerns and insecurities around whether actually will if if our son was actually going to be bilingual because like two plus two equals four like this doesn't add up like if it's english and english equals four it's going to be more english it's not going to be spanish and so i needed to do something different so i told them that i was going to only speak spanish to our son moving forward um and that i was going to start um going through our books and our the stuff that we had at home and making sure there was more of a balance because if I wanted to read books, I didn't want to constantly have to translate the books. I wanted to have like actual print in Spanish. And so we, he was on board. He was like, no, I, I, I definitely want to, you know, I want them to, our, our kids, we always knew we would have more than one. Um, but I, I want our, our children to, to be bilingual. So let's start switching things around. And so we started doing that slowly um, and then by nine, by nine and 10 months, we were like on it. Like we, we had a groove. I spoke, um, Spanish all the time to our, to our son. And then my husband would read books in Spanish to him. And that started helping my husband become more comfortable with the language. And, um, and because the books were there and accessible and they the English one were like put away, that was what that's the option that we had, you know, and he wasn't going to like translate them to English because he wouldn't be able to. So um, it kind of worked. And so then um, then the pandemic hit and our entire life became in Spanish. And that's kind of how our bilingual parenting journey started. But it wasn't intentional. It, it, it's been very intentional with our second because we already had had done this, but it wasn't like like we knew we wanted it, but we just thought, oh, it's just going to happen. You know, it's it's just going to happen. I, I speak two languages, of course, but it wasn't going to happen the way that we had it set up. So how have things been different with your second child and um, and I guess the routines that you uh, have in your family and also the language that you hear your second child speaking, if that's any different from, you know, your first child's language output? Yeah. So, um, so my first, his, some of his first words were in English versus my second, all his first words are in Spanish, uh, or most of his words are in Spanish. He has some English words that he does now, but definitely like my first said up first and my second said arriba. Like, so I, so it was very different and I know it's because he only or mostly had Arriba as the input for Spanish versus my first was with my in-law. So up was like, it's such a kid thing to do, you know, to say, you know, up, 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 and then you up. And so, um, so their first words are different. And then, um, I think my second was born into our family who was already established and very much used to speaking Spanish all the time versus my first was born into parents that were kind of just figuring it out. I think it's like such an illustration of how it goes with the first and the second of like the first you're like, oh, I don't know what's, you know, and then the second yeah. it's like, oh, we were on a groove. And so he, um, it was very much more easy going in that way, because we already had our routines, we already, you know, communicated as a family in Spanish more. 
Um, and then he was born during the pandemic. So he really didn't have that outside English exposure that or that even which is sad that part. Um, because my first obviously had more family um, bonding time, because we weren't in a pandemic. And then my second didn't have that family bonding time as much only more like his immediate family, just us. So you mentioned a bit about the discussions with your husband when you first said, okay, we have to, we're going to speak, I'm going to speak Spanish to him all the time. And I, you know, I noticed uh, you recently posted a video about how your husband speaks in Spanish to your children. Mm -hmm. And tell me about uh, what that was like as an adjustment for you to, as a partnership for him to start speaking Spanish and do you only speak Spanish to each other now? And kind of what has that looked like from a parenting angle? Yeah. So, um, I mean, he always spoke some Spanish. Like I knew he, he was very, he always had a really good foundation. Um, he's like the, he remind he's the, like my mom, like my mom has a really good foundation in reading English and like understanding English, but it's like the expressive part that really gets her, um, that really gets her feeling like she's not, she's not able to speak it, you know, or she's not fluent. And so my husband kind of was the same with Spanish and like, he can, he could read it and he could kind of understand it. it, But the comfort in speaking was what, what was getting him in the, what's getting in the way of him being able to, to use it. So when I told him that I was going to do that, um, and he said, oh, well, I can commit to, I can commit to reading. And so he started with reading, but the more you read, the more your vocabulary grows and the more comfortable you become because you're reading, especially when you're reading to a child, you're reading out loud. And so slowly I started noticing that because he was memorizing the books as he was reading them over and over again, that he was using or referencing the books with my son. And that's kind of how slowly he was like speaking Spanish to our kids. And I was like, Oh, my God, this is amazing. And I remember, um, like recording him one day. And then I'm like, you sound really good. Like, I'm like, I'm amazed. And then I think he just, you know, it just became like his norm, like, Oh, obviously, you know, I speak to to our children also in Spanish. And the more and more we do it, and he even said the other day, he's like, it's just kind of like the more that like it's like going to the gym, like you start lifting weights, you know, and you start with 10 pounds and then you go, you build from them. Then it's 20, then it's 30, then it's 40. And then you just continue doing it. And it becomes, um, you persevere and you, and your endurance kind of gets higher. And, um, and then, so it's amazing to see that happen now between me and him, it's harder to speak Spanish to each other only. So we speak both. Um, we try to speak Spanish around the kids more because my three and a half year old will be like, what did you say to daddy? <laughs> if I say something in English or like, why are you guys speaking in English right now? Like he'll call us out. Um, but when the kids go to bed, it definitely is both because we'll be talking about the kids and even talking about the kids feels like we have to talk in Spanish about them because the experience was in Spanish. And then, um, but when it's like more more like adult conversations like politics or the news or you know our health or health insurance or like things that are more like the nitty-gritty things about parenting we speak in English to each other for sure oh that's so cool what do you think that um I guess I know you can't speak for your husband but what have you seen in him as far as like 
the relationships with your children and and him like I don't know a Spanish persona coming out of him mm-hmm. like what have you seen <laughs> yeah no I think that this is a that's a really good question actually I think a lot of people really fear and worry that they won't be able to bond or emotionally connect with their child in a language that is not their native language and that they won't like feel that parenting love and connection. And I feel like for, it's the opposite. For what what I see from my husband is the opposite. I feel very strongly that he is much more able to convey his feelings and be much more emotional with our children in Spanish than he would have been in English. Because in English, that wasn't necessarily something that was nurture in that same way for him um and so because of how our family dynamic goes we're very very um attachment parenting and so he has had that model and has been able to see what that looks like and a lot of us that wasn't how our parents raised us you know what I mean and so um it would look very differently I think that they would have a very strong bond in English as well and they would be able to talk about like more specific about interest and things like that but the love bond his parenting language is definitely in Spanish and even my mother-in-law comments and she's just like even when you're not around um Brandon will speak to the kids in Spanish it's just like like he it's like his kids kit language and I'm like I know it's just like this is our family dynamic and so it doesn't really change when we go to different environments yeah I love that that's so beautiful it's almost like he was like freed to kind of start from scratch in this Mm -hmm. language that he didn't have as a child so he could kind of be a new person or be whoever he wanted to be in this new language Mm -hmm. with your son Mm -hmm. so what are some challenges that you've encountered and what have you found to be the most challenging parts of raising bilingual children ah so many (laughs) many things but I think that other outsiders that are not living your family dynamics sometimes worry that you're not racing or doing the things that they would do. So maybe it doesn't appear to them to be the right choice. So for example, um, and it this is, I think over, this happens with anything in parenting. Um, but I think for bilingualism, a lot of times, people can get fixated on the bilingual part, meaning like two languages. And so when they see a family do minority language at home, like our family, where we speak Spanish predominantly, they may think, oh, well, you're not really raising bilingual kids or you're not doing it right. And then there's some critiques coming in with that that are not really based on research or based on what um, the experts are saying you should do. And um, the fact of the matter is that if you are raising a child in the US doing minority language at home, they're still learning English because everywhere you go, you speak English. So my kids know how to say please and thank you without even being taught to say please and thank you because they hear that when we go to the grocery store and I say please and thank you and then they say please and thank you. And so even though English is not being um, directly given to a child when they're in a minority language at home, home, 
it, it's they're still getting it from the playground and everywhere they go. And so we've had a lot of different comments being made about, but when are they going to be just as fluent in English or when are they going to be? And so there's a lot of comparison when it comes to the two languages. Um, my three and a half year old and my two year old are very outspoken. <laughs> and very um verbal they 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 know they know what they want and they know how to how to express that what they need and what they want and so there's always been pressure for them to also be able to do that in English even though they don't get the same amount of input in that language so it wouldn't make sense you know an adult couldn't do that an adult couldn't watch a Spanish a, a movie in Spanish and then be asked to speak Spanish you know, like that wouldn't yeah. work. Like an adult couldn't do that. And so why would a three and a half year old and a two year old do that? So the expectations of bilingual children, that's one of the things I feel very um, passionate about, are really um, problematic and really can make a family question if what they're doing is the right choice or if they are harming their child when really all we're doing is passing down a language that is part of their heritage. And so that's kind of been the bulk of our experience, just kind of like the little comments. And they're not necessarily from malicious people. It's people who we are connected to, but they do have concern or distrust that it's going to work out. And I'm like, guys, it's going to work out. We live in the U.S. They're going to school in the U.S., um, in English, like it's going to be fine. But um, having to reassure people when you're also trying to like do what you think it's right, it's it's very taxing. Yeah. I meant to ask this before when we were talking about your family and your bilingualism routine. Have you been able to um, find a Spanish language community of other parents and children locally or online? And what are some other resources that you use as a family? Yeah, so um, so luckily, um, I and I tell this to everybody, this is my best tip. If you're wanting to find a bilingual community for whatever language combination you speak, go on your Facebook parent group and type that and like ask for that. Put yourself out there and say, hi, I'm looking to, you know, meet another family who are raising bilingual children in Spanish and English. Um, we would love to have play dates. We would love to do X, Y, and Z. That is how I met my, um, one of my best friends. Um, and we um, have, con she was moving from New York City here um, because her family is from here. And then she had a two-year-old then, and then my three-and-a-half-year-old was one, was was one and a half. And so we connected and our kids are friends. And so, uh, and then we've been able to find other people because when you make one connection, other connections follow. And so being able to build that little community. So we host um, Spanish play dates every month um, through um, Bilinguitos. Um, she is kind of like the umbrella, um, Kayla Diaz. And she um, runs um, group of play, which is Spanish immersion play groups um, throughout the country. And so we host one of those in Syracuse, New York. And so we've been able to connect with families that live in Buffalo and Rochester and Ithaca, and they just like come and we all meet once a month and our kids get to see other families that are using Spanish just like us and they get to play with each other. So it's a really, really, really nice experience. So that's one thing that we do. We also have attended um, the cultural festivals and events that they have um, and 
near us. And that has been a really good opportunity in meeting new people and, and getting to know resources that are in the community because sometimes we think that there are not re- there are not any resources and then when you start looking you find them and you're like oh my god i didn't even know this existed so um our local syracuse university actually has a um one of their offices one of their initiatives is to support the spanish-speaking community of syracuse and so they have events and oh, we're cool. going to start att- they have events and they have classes for kids there are um taught by the students and they're about like they're like science and math and um creative um like creative designs and art and music and it's all and it's all free to the public so we're going to start doing that as well so back to challenges of bilingualism what are some of the most common myths that you hear about bilingualism this is this is the one the one part I do think that for all families um, it becomes a challenge to debunk these myths. So number one would be um, bilingualism causes a speech delay, a delay or confusing confusion in children, and um, this one is said by professionals who we trust and also by our own family members or people in the community that we know. And so for families, the challenge is pushing back on this and asking for the research that actually supports this because there is no research. It doesn't exist. This is a myth. This is not true. Um, If bilingualism was the cause of speech delays or um, any difficulty a child had in language acquisition, then monolingual kids wouldn't have speech delays because they only speak one language. And so, um, so clearly the same factors that impact a monolingual child would be the same factors that impact a bilingual child. We don't have to look at the language. And so that's, that's a really big one. Um, I would say that, and, and that one also keeps people from seeking speech, um, a speech pathologist, um, service because, um, oh, late talking. That's the other one. It's um, bilingualism causes late talking. So a lot of times people will be like, oh, my child is not meeting milestones, but it's because they speak, they are hearing two languages. So they're just going to talk later. And so that's not actually factual. There is a range of when children are supposed to de- start developing and meeting some of their speech milestones and connecting with a speech pathologist would be the best um, course for that family if they were encountering that. But I think those are the two biggest, biggest ones. And then the um, kind of going back to people thinking that they have to speak both languages at home is a huge myth when um, like um, one person, one parent, one language, that being the best um, strategy for raising bilingual kids. And it's not necessarily that it's not the it's not a good strategy. It's just not the best strategy um, or the one that every family has to do. It doesn't work for every kind of family. And um, so that's a huge myth that if you don't do it one one parent, one language, then you're not actually raising bilingual children. So, mm, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask, um, what led you to be into the field of engaging with bilingual parenting as a topic? Like what led you to become an advocate for bilingual parenting and where did you do your, I guess, initial research or what resources do you turn to when you are unsure about something? 
Yeah, thank you so much for asking that question. So, um, so when I I went to um, I graduated from Fordham University, and um, during my time um, doing um, my internships, I actually interned in um, with two different high schools in New York City, and I was their social worker. And um, a lot of my interactions were with um, bilingual children and their um, immigrant parent or their Spanish speaking parents. And so I had this passion of like, wanting to help those parents and wanting to connect like the school and the parents and like, try to navigate this and we can do it. Um, so I had that in me. And then when I graduated from Fordham, I actually ended up working for a law firm. Um, or I guess it's not a law firm. It's more like an agency, um, Advocates for Children of New York. And what they do is they do educational rights. Um, and so my project was Immigrant Students Rights Project. And my job was to connect with parents and help them navigate um, the school system. But a lot of what I was hearing was kind of this um, bilingual parenting struggle. Um, and so that has always kind of been something that's been a part of my career. And then when I moved up to New York, I kind of switched gears and started doing um, more like clinical work around trauma and around, um, you know, healthy relationships. And I did that for a long time in violence prevention. But then when I became a parent, this felt um, very much a very personal and a very professional um, thing for me that I wanted to now pursue because it was the best way for me to blend both sides, all the sides of me, like myself being a bilingual person, myself being a parent and myself knowing um, how much immigrants need support, how much um, linguistic oppression is out there, how much discrimination around language there is. And that's kind of how, how I ended up in here. Um, I very much believe that bilingualism thrives on connection and play and that's kind of what bilingual played it started being and then it turned into more advocacy orientated work and who i learned the most from would be kayla diaz from bilinguitos um i learned from from um dr jose medina um he is a fierce advocate for um bilingualism, translanguaging. Um, he does a lot of trainings in the school. So I learn a lot from them. And then I also do my own research um, through um, the National Association of Social Work. We have access through a lot of research um, studies. And so we we get to have access to kind of what the newest um, trends and what are the best ways to support um, bilingual students. So what advice would you or do you give to parents who are raising bilingual children or parents maybe who are thinking about it, who are thinking about introducing a second or third language to their child? My best advice is to think about what your goal is. Like with anything that we really want, we need to be clear on what is our goal, because not everyone's goal is a bilingual and biliterate child. Not everyone, some people want um, preliminary exposure. They want their child to know that there are other languages out there, that there are other cultures, and that these are some words that they even know uh, in that language, and let's study it together. So you need to figure out where 
where you are in that um, spectrum of bilingual parenting. It doesn't have to look any way but the way that works for you and your family. And thinking about any goal, um, like working out, um, eating healthier, um, reading more, watch, you know, those are goals that we put on on ourselves. And so bilingual, bilingualism, the pursuit of bilingualism is no different. So for that would be number one, like, get clear on your goals. And then connect with the right resources, you know, I'm happy to connect um, with any parent that has questions that are that is wondering, um, what about this? Or what about this? Or I don't know about this. Um, ask questions. Don't just take anything that anyone says as, you know, what you have to do. If it doesn't work for you, then it's not the right choice for you. Um, and then the third thing is start small, start with something that you know you can commit to. If it's, I'm going to greet my child in Spanish, um, you know, or I'm going to say goodnight to my child in Spanish every day for the rest of this week, do that. If it's, we're going to do, um, we're going to brush our teeth and we're going to speak Spanish, like, you know, we're going to go through the routine in Spanish, do that. Like, it doesn't have to be something as, I was able to do something drastic, like, I'm going to speak Spanish and, you know, and that's going to be it. Because I already had that that experience of being bilingual, being able to kind of do that with my languages, but that's not everyone's experience. And I think that we need to be kind to ourselves. We are parents and we're tired and life is hard sometimes. And so we need to do what feels possible and and whatever feels possible helps you build to the next possible thing. And so for my husband, it was reading books. That's all he, he, he literally was like, I can read three books every day in Spanish. And that is how he started. Like, and, and then um, two and a half years later, um, we are three, yeah, no, three and a half years later, because I think like at one years old is when we started like really going hard. Um, so two and a half years later, he is fully speaking to our children in Spanish. But the, the goal that he had three books, and that was all that he was going to do. And it, and it went from there. So start small, get clear on your goals and ask questions would be would definitely be what I what I suggest someone do. And I love what you said before about not everyone's goal has to be a fully bilingual, biliterate child. I think a lot of people um, maybe get overwhelmed by the idea mm -hmm. of bilingualism and think, well, if it's not perfect, whatever perfect mm -hmm. is, of course, we know perfect doesn't exist. But if it's not perfect, then it's not even worth doing. So I really appreciated you saying that because anything is um a positive i think even mm -hmm. if like you said even if it's just exposing children to other cultures and the idea that people live in a different way people speak in a different mm -hmm. way even that is a really valuable thing yeah like even going um you know um some families like to go out to dinner even going to a spanish-speaking restaurant where you know someone there is going to speak spanish and your goal could be saying hola to the to you know to the server or to the host or whoever that could be your goal like I'm going to take my kids to eat authentic food and it's going to be a Spanish speaking um place and I'm going to say this that could be the goal so it doesn't have to be anything so big it feels like you're drowning in it and it and it and it can be small because small is better doing something small 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 is makes us feel better than when we're not doing something and we're wondering about whether we should start and it gets you started you know it's like 
drinking a glass of water a day is better than not drinking water. And so, um, so yeah, so it starts small. It doesn't have to look like anyone else's. Everyone has a unique journey and a unique reason why they want their kid to be X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, we can only do so much for our children. At some point, they decide if they're going to continue their bilingualism. And and the the responsibility of us is making sure we give them a good foundation so that they want to turn back to the language and they want it for themselves. Mm, yeah. Um, and maybe you would give the same advice for this question, but if it differs at all, what advice would you give to parents who don't speak a second language, but who still want to raise their children bilingual? I think it's super possible. Um, I mean, my parents didn't speak another language and they wanted to raise their kids bilingual. So it is possible. It looks different. And so one of the things that you might consider is taking a class with your child. There's a lot of resources to be able to do that. You know, maybe you're both learning together or maybe um, you're reaching out, you're getting a tutor or you're looking for a special kind of school, but you definitely can do it. Um, and it looks the same starting small. It could be, I think one of the things we forget is that we can talk about language without speaking the language. And so you can, you can say, um, you know, there are 21 Spanish speaking countries um, in the world, you know, you can, you can, and in this country, this is what this would, would sound like. And let's Google it, especially because we have so much technology. I used to play a game with my kids um, at work and it was called Google it. And we would just put silly things on it, you know, that we were curious about. And then we would Google it. So like a parent could do that with their child, like go um like um, on my Instagram, I, count I do a lot of como se dice like how do you say it and so literally you say how do you say blank in Spanish and then you could look and that could be a little um ritual or routine that you do with your child that turns into a fun um experience for them so if you want to raise bilingual children it is possible even if you yourself don't speak the language it just looks very different um than if you do but it doesn't mean that it's not possible my parents did it So you mentioned that your older child started school this week or last mm -hmm. week? This week. Uh, so I know it's only been a few days, but how has it been going so far? And um, I guess linguistically, I know it's only been a few days, but mm -hmm. how has it been? And, and has that brought up any anything for you as, as he's starting school? Um, my husband and I were very nervous. Um, we Well, we were very nervous because he does speak English and he does understand English, but his presentation in English is much more quiet and shy um, in English, which is not a problem. There's a lot of shy kids that are monolingual too. But um, we were worried that his whole personality maybe wouldn't be able to be seen or appreciated because maybe he wouldn't feel as comfortable in school. So we, um, we were very clear with our school and we were able to arrange a private tour before school started so that he just knew the space and we could the director could kind of see his presentation more closely and um she took down some notes and she gave those notes to the, his teacher which i had met at open house and loved and um she basically told her to brush up on her spanish and when we went on tuesday to drop him off 
she had bilingualified her entire classroom so that even though my son cannot read, like he, he literally is three and a half and he cannot read, I can read. And I saw so many things in Spanish in the classroom and I just was, I felt so good and I felt so um, validated in what we were doing and knowing that he was in an environment that would appreciate his linguistic abilities and that would be able to support him either way. And so she told me that she attempted to speak Spanish to him, but that he spoke in English to her. So, and then, yeah. so I was just like, oh, great. And I was like, he did great. And then she um, was just like, do you have a preference? Do you want me to speak Spanish to him or English? And I'm like, nope, whatever makes him feel comfortable. Um, I'm just happy to know that in the event that he did say something like I have to go to the bathroom or like something, something three and a half year old say that someone in the room would at least be able to pick up that one, it's another language. It's in Spanish. Let's figure out what he's saying and let's help him with the words that he doesn't have in English. Um, and so it was just like a really heart warming experience to see someone an educator just go out of her way to literally change her classroom dynamic so that my kid felt just as welcome as the other kids and so I feel very good and I feel very happy that we did it this way that we continue with Spanish and that we didn't feel pressure or feel like we had to change the way that we were doing things so that um so that school went a certain way because school did that for us. And it's such, and that is such a good feeling. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's really amazing. What is her level of Spanish? Like, do you know um, what her I think it's probably, she said that it was probably, it's from high school. Like, so she had to like, so I think her Spanish is probably the same as my husband when he started our our Spanish journey and she said she's like I have a lot of bilingual books at home um that I'll be bringing in and I can read in both and she and it sounds like she's been working on it so if she probably if she's reading consistently her Spanish could really improve especially if she if, if she puts effort on it and so um which is fine because that's what I always tell people three and a half year olds don't, they have vocabulary. Some of them do, but they're not speaking like an adult. And so when you're speaking to a three and a half year old, if you have basic Spanish with my, with my Spanish English um, bilingual child, you can speak to him very well because his Spanish is probably going to be about, Oh, look at this pretty thing. And you know, you can, re- and so I think that it's perfect that hers is basic Um and and his, you know, it's a little bit more advanced probably than hers, but there'll be there won't be like a barrier in communication um, if he does need to use Spanish to fully communicate something that he's observing or needing in the classroom. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. That's really. I know. I was just like, I can't believe, and I was like, I can't believe this is our experience because I was. I mean, I, obviously I do this every day, um, bilingual parenting advocacy, bilingual educational rights. And, you know, and so I was ready. I'm like, I have all the information. I know what to do. And then this really threw me, you know, threw me for a loop. I was just like, oh, I, I don't have to advocate. I don't have to do anything else. I just have to experience like every parent, like every other parent gets to experience my child's preschool um, years. And they're really good. They like send to what they're doing next week. So I'll know like what he's going to be working on. And um, so far, so good. And I'm excited for him. I'm excited to see his English. That's my goal for him, that his English 
voice is more confident, that he feels confident and empowered in it, just like he feels in, in Spanish. And I want, I want him to shine in both languages. Um, and so I can't wait to see it. I think he will with this, with this teacher. I think he will. Yeah. Oh, that must be such a great feeling. That's really mm -hmm. wonderful. Well, is there anything else that I haven't asked you about or that you wanted to chat about? Um, I guess one of the things that I definitely want people to know is just like, um, there are people that want you want to support you and asking for help or support in, in anything parenting isn't doesn't mean that you don't you're not a good parent or that you don't know how to parent. It just means that you're human and you're a parent and no one has a book and we're trying to figure it out. So for bilingual parenting um, is an added factor. It's something that does cause stress and does wear on people when we're doing it alone. So the more that we connect, the more that we build that community, the more that we ask for support, the better chances of, of being able to do it in a way that feels, um, you know, that feels good and that doesn't feel dreadful because that's not fun. You know, um, no one wants to feel the dread or the heaviness of something. Um, and that's why I, I talk a lot about that bilingual parenting mental load um, because it can get heavy. And so the more you talk about it, the more you unload all that stuff that's going on and the more, the more connected you get to the right professionals. I love to connect with parents and educators and I love having these conversations about bilingualism, bilingual families, bilingual parenting. Um, and the more we talk about it, the more we can make our world more inclusive um, of all languages, of all dialects, of all accents, um, of all language variations. And so let's keep having these conversations. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast. It was so great talking to you. It was so great talking to you. Anytime, um, I'm happy to have this conversation and continue to change the world this way. Thank you again to Deandra for joining me for this conversation. You can follow Deandra on Instagram at bilingualplaydate. You can find the link to her Instagram account in the episode description. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Please subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can leave a five-star rating and review on whatever app you're listening through. It helps more people find the show. If you'd like to join the Patreon community to help keep the podcast running, you'll find the link to that in the episode description. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.